Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Kyle Report wherever you get your podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media, A-M-P-I-R-E. Always much appreciated when you tune in. And for you gold members, if you want to become a member, you can go to the Empire Media page, hit join, find your membership tier. But for you gold members, as soon as we get all this coaching stuff squared away, and I know when the presser is and all that, and I think it'll be Thursday, but that's nothing's official. But as soon as we get that all squared away, then I want to do another private Zoom for you gold members that will then be available to the other members afterwards. So um, anyway, stay tuned for that. When As soon as we know more about the staff, we'll do that. In a minute, oh, by the way, don't forget you can read my work on ESPN.com. And in a minute, in a couple of minutes, I'll be joined by my ESPN colleague in Chicago, Courtney Cronin, because I wanted to go over the odds of the Bears looking into trying to trading that first pick would they really look into it what what she thinks they're going to do with that first pick and there may not be a big surprise there but i think she does a good job of laying out possibilities and what it might take if the commanders wanted to move up what it might take to go from two to one and why the bears might entertain such an offer but she has all that insight in a minute i also ask her about montez sweat and the impact he made in chicago so stay tuned for that in a minute, but just one little quick, couple quick coaching updates. They're almost done filling out their staff as I speak. The only positions that re- really remain are running back and defensive line. Um, Ken Norton, I think you know, Ken Norton Jr. will be the linebackers coach. Ryan Kerrigan will assist him. Bobby Ingram is going to stay as the receivers coach. <clears throat> you know, not a big shocker there, to be honest, because I think I think he did a pretty good job with this group. I think the group overall liked him. Um, so I think, you know, he's an experienced guy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So not a big surprise. I think it takes a lot to stick around on another staff. And, um, so again, and Sheree Floyd will be an assistant defensive line coach. So all we're waiting to know as of, as the time I tape, this is D line and then running backs. And Jennifer King is not going to be someone who they're going to elevate to that spot. So it will be somebody from outside. So we'll see where that goes, but we should know. Maybe by tomorrow we should know the full staff, but um, or or could know the full staff. I shouldn't say should because I don't know that for sure. Anyway, so that's what we're that's what we know with the, with the group. Um, there's not a whole lot more to add on that. I'm going to have more information on on their coaching staff in general and in talk based on what I gathered about some of these coaches from people. Just a few of the highlights that I've gathered from talking to some people about some of these coaches, some of the key ones, especially Ken Norton, I think is, it could be a good addition, um, you know, et cetera. And so um, we'll get to that at another time, but today I just really want to stick with the quarterbacks because it is such a big deal. And I know some people might get quarterbacked out for a little bit, and I'm not going to just talk about quarterbacks, but I do think right now coming off the Super Bowl, And right now there's a lot of talk about what Chicago might do. And we are very much in the early stages of this quarterback uh, evaluation process. So I think a big thing for me to do is explore the bear, what the bears might do in terms of trading that pick, or would they trade that pick? And I think for Washington's sake, I don't think, you know, it's going to be a while before I think they settle on somebody for sure at that number two pick. And I don't think you're going to be hearing a lot of leaks about who it might be because I think they, they're they going to keep that close to the vest. And I think we can see based on their coach search how they're going to operate with this. 
And this is a big, this would be for a guy in this first time as a GM, it's a pretty big pick. I mean, that's, it's a really big pick for a guy in his first year as a GM. So um, I think they're going to be very careful. And if you hear that they've settled on somebody, I would say I would push back on that because I don't think that it's, it's possible at this point that they would be at that point. So, and I don't know that anybody's really saying that now, but I think it's going to take a little bit to, for them to get to a certain point where they say this for sure is a guy, again, based on the coach search, unless there's a guy that's just one of those quarterbacks just jumps way out above for them, I would expect them to go through the process for a while. And again, one of the things you learn that I learned have learned about them throughout the coach search is how hard they worked to keep an open mind and let the process play out. That's why I always I push back again on anybody who says that Ben Johnson was way out front of anything. He never was. Was he a again top a top candidate? Yes. The it's really hard to say that. And, and I think it's based on the fact that like these guys kept an open mind throughout the process. They weren't going to fall in or out of love with anybody. They wanted it to play out and, and examine the strengths and weaknesses. I think they're going to do the same thing with quarterbacks. So whatever decision they make, it's not going to be a rash one. It's not going to be, you know, Kingsbury saying, give me this guy. It's going to be a, it's going to be something that, you know, there'll be a lot of, in, there'll be enough input but I think it's ultimately you look at Adam Peters will be the guy making the call um, with the input of others to make sure they're all on that quote unquote same page. Anyways, but that's why I want to bring Courtney on now, because I think it's good to get have this discussion now. So let's get to my conversation with ESPN Bears reporter, Courtney Cronin. Courtney, I'm sure you haven't gotten this question yet before, but what are the Bears going to do at the number one pick? Do you think they know already? I think they have an idea. And this is before meeting with Caleb Williams, before meeting with Drake May at the Combine is when you know all of that kicks off. And then, of course, they have their pro day circuit. They're in draft meetings right now. They're setting their board, at least the initial board. I think they have an idea, at least of the strengths of this quarterback class, but also the opportunity that's in front of them, that with this number one overall pick, the way that the team finished last year, and the opportunity that's ahead of them, I don't think you can pass up on that opportunity in back-to-back years knowing that the offensive rookie of the year in C.J. Stroud was someone they could have had last year. They chose not to. They stuck with Justin Fields. As much as Justin Fields is beloved in Chicago, beloved by his teammates, all of those things are true. I still think that this is an opportunity that league-wide, everybody seems to have the idea that the Bears are going to do quote-unquote, the obvious thing, which is to draft a quarterback. I think at this point of the offseason, you're probably painting that scenario if you are Ryan Poles and your staff and seeing, okay, I can understand why this would work. There's no nothing definitive yet, but I do think that they have at least some clue of the direction they want to go in this offseason. Do you think for sure it would be Caleb Williams? Because every once in a while, someone's going to pop up and say, well, this is my top quarterback is Jaden Daniels or Drake May. I mean, is it for sure? Most people I talk to say Caleb Williams is the best quarterback in this class. But is it for sure Caleb at that point? I th- I'm still in like the, like, I'm, I'm holding out my reservations on that. Because, yeah, I've seen everything for where people are like, he's a can't-miss prospect could develop into Patrick Mahomes, which I think is putting cart before the horse because the Bears had an opportunity to draft Mahomes. I don't know if he would be Patrick Mahomes of, you know, 
dynasty lore if he was in Chicago, if he came here in 2017. I don't know if Caleb Williams will develop into that, but you see everything from that to, oh, he's a QB2 at best, and you know he's not a generational talent. I know what the draft analysts and the experts are saying, that Caleb Williams is probably who the Bears draft at number one, but we've seen draft boards change like over time as people start talking to these prospects and you know from combine all the way to the draft you tend to see some movement and even last year with Bryce Young and CJ Stroud there was that jockeying of positioning mm-hmm. back and forth till the very end and then it ends up being Bryce and then CJ like I wouldn't be surprised if that happens with the way that the quarterback class is currently laid out at least in theory of one, two, and three Williams, May, and Daniels. But I I think that Caleb Williams and what we know and all the investment that the Bears and every other team that's in the market for a quarterback has done, that he's probably the consensus as of right now to go to Chicago if they do use that number one overall pick. What did the hire of Shane Waldron as OC and not Cliff Kingsbury, what did that tell you, if anything? I think that they use that interview with Cliff to get information on Caleb Williams. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. Um, The Shane Waldron hire coming from that Shanahan McVeigh system shows that no matter who the quarterback is, he can work with a lot of different prospects, whether it's somebody like Justin Fields, whether it's somebody that is currently, or, you know, a draft eligible quarterback and turn that guy into a success. I mean, it was from from Jared Goff to Russell Wilson to Geno Smith. He's shown he can work with different body types, different skill sets, and fit those guys into this West Coast offense. So to me, it's it's like they did less specializing. Like if you're going to take a look at Cliff Kingsbury and say, okay, well, the natural tie there to Caleb Williams, all the things that Caleb Williams did in his junior season when Cliff was his QB coach and the offensive analyst at, at USC, I think you widen the ability to get the most out of whoever the quarterback's going to be by getting somebody who isn't just tied to one guy, if that makes sense. That's mm-hmm. how I view Shane Waldron because they, if you take a look at the nine candidates that they interviewed for that offensive coordinator opening, most of them came from that Shanahan, McVay, Kubiak system. That's a quarterback-friendly offense. It's what we just saw with Brock Purdy and his rise over the last two seasons. And somebody, So you don't have to necessarily get the scheme-transcendent quarterback because so often those guys, they don't grow on trees. So often they don't actually like develop in the NFL. Like It's such a rarity that you can get a Patrick Mahomes, uh, a Tom Brady, somebody who can be in any system and succeed. So getting the coach who can take you know, guys from different sorts of, you know, areas of quarterbacking um, and fit them into a system and also keeping this offense similar. So the 10 other guys on offense don't have to learn a brand new language. I think that that is, was a priority for them as well as they went through the OC process. You hear the words historic hall. That's what it would take to get mm-hmm. the bears out of that pick. What, it, what do you think that, First of all, how many teams do you think would try to trade up? And also, what would that historic haul look like for them, do you think? So based on last year, four picks and DJ Moore, who I think you could basically say was the equivalent of a first-round pick. If if they're looking for, and I've heard everything from, you know, it's going to take crazy compensation, historic haul, they could get even, you know, twice of what they got from the Panthers last year. 
I think it's multiple first round picks, maybe three. So if you take a look at like the Trey Lance trade, if you're using that kind of as the barometer for what San Francisco did in 2021, multiple first round picks, you know, I think mortgaging the future of a franchise is probably the best way to put it if you're going to move up to get to number one. And how many teams are actually in the position to do that? Washington, of course, being at number two, the New England Patriots need a quarterback at number three. Those are the only two teams that feel like the most realistic options to get up to number one teams that actually have the draft capital to get up to number one. And, you know, Washington, as you know, with the extra picks that they got at the trade deadline for Montez Sweat and Chase Young, they seem like they're in a prime position to do that. But that's where it starts. you got to take a look at teams, comp- like what the compensation probably is, and then what teams can actually afford to do that. A team like the Minnesota Vikings need a quarterback. If it's not going to be Kirk Cousins again, can they move up from where they are at in the draft? Could the Raiders move up from 13? Like, I feel right. like that's way too much to for these for these teams, especially the situation that they're in, to go and say, all right, well, to hell with the rest of the, you know, the future of this team. We're going all in this year to get this quarterback to then build out for the future. That's a really risky gamble and a proposition, I think, that is just out of the price range for the majority of quarterback needy teams outside of the top two, the top three. And do you think they would like how, I guess it depends on who the bears like a quarterback. If they feel like mm-hmm. may or Daniels is close to Williams, maybe they'd be willing to trade to number two, but you think it would take that much even to move one spot back. I think it would take a lot. And yeah. that's the other part of this equation that I remember asking Ryan Poles about at his season ending press conference. Can you still get a first round quarterback? If you don't take one at number one, the answer is yes, because this is a class unlike last year's, that has talent throughout the first round and then into the second round. So you can go all the way from Caleb Williams to a J.J. McCarthy, who might be an early day two pick, and still get a quarterback in this year's draft class. And that may change how they approach the Justin Fields thing. Do they keep him? Do they trade him? If you're getting somebody on day two, you're keeping Justin Fields this Mm -hmm. year. Granted, that makes things kind of convoluted with the fifth-year option and, you know, all of those things. But it's... It's not out of the question for the Bears to take the number one overall pick, to trade it, and maybe still get a Jaden Daniels out of this draft, still get a Drake May if they move back one spot. But then you also have to factor in, let's say Washington. If they move back to number two, you have an opportunity, probably your only opportunity to get Marvin Harrison Jr. So how you approach, like everything starts and ends with like what they're doing at quarterback, but how you approach the rest of the draft if you move out of that number one overall pick is based on how far you think realistically you can move down in the first round to either get another quarterback or get the top skill player that you expect to, you know, be a main contributor next year. So, but even just to go from two to one, multiple first round picks, most likely. I think so. Okay. I think that this will take it because of the draft class and because of how these quarterbacks are being positioned. I think it will end up being significantly more draft capital that comes Chicago's way. If it's Washington, if it's the Patriots, hell, even if it's Arizona uh, moving up to number one to go get a quarterback. What kind of market do you think Justin will have? And what, and I know like everybody's going to set a high asking price now because Mm -hmm. why not? Right. But what do you think the realistic uh, market value for him is in terms of trades? Well, Jeremy Fowler and I did a story going into week 18 where we polled league executives on a number of different topics with fields um, as it pertains to the trade value, what the market's going to be. Is he an instant starter somewhere else? Like what teams would be interested? And at that point, it was second round pick, third round pick, 
for fields, um, you know, maybe a combination of a couple things, a second and a fourth, all, you know, the opportunities, you couldn't, you couldn't pin people down to say, oh, he's this, like dead set on him being a first round pick, a second round, like worth a first round pick, a second round pick, whatever it is. But you start hearing different things now. Um, Adam Schefter was on Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN 1000 last week. And he said that he felt the Bears could definitely get a first round pick for Justin Fields. So clearly that's being put out there in the league right now. And maybe that's trying to drive the price up on Justin. But you got to think about the teams that would be best suited to trade for a quarterback who could either be their future or a bridge quarterback because you're probably trading and giving him a contract extension at some point in the very near future. You've got to be willing to do that. You've got to be willing to pick up the fifth year option uh, and then decide, is this guy going to be worth, you know, 40, $50 million a year? What are the teams that are in that position? We're here in Pittsburgh. We're here in Atlanta. Um, the Raiders felt like an option before Luke Getze became the offensive coordinator there. I do not believe that there would end up being another pairing between those two, but <laughs> there's, you know, the market for Justin Fields is going to be a very interesting one that I think we'll start to get a little bit more clarity on at the combine when you start hearing things. And of course, free agency is about two weeks after uh, things wrap up in Indianapolis. So that'll be very intriguing to see if all of a sudden the second round pick that Jeremy and I had been hearing was probably on the table for Justin Fields, if that ends up becoming more in the coming weeks. And like you said, you guys wrote that story back then. For people listening, you can go back and still read it about what the Bears thought of Justin and this his progression. Has he progressed enough in your mind that he can still be a good starter in this league and, and worth a shot? there's always a team that thinks that they can fix sure. a quarterback. Um, and if you take a look at like Pittsburgh, for example, so they just hired Arthur Smith as their offensive coordinator. He's an under center guy. And Justin operated primarily in the shotgun with the Chicago bears for the last couple of years. Do they feel that that would be a fit? Maybe. Um, it, I, I think that Justin still has, you know, some of his best days ahead of him. If he gets into the right offense, this clearly like the issue with Chicago the last couple of years was such a stop-start process where a couple weeks it felt felt like the quarterback's making strides, play calling's catching up to where Justin is. Okay, then maybe the play calling looks like it's better. And then just like, it was just, they were never on the same page. So if you get him in the right offense, can you recapture some of that magic that made him such a great prospect coming out of college at Ohio State? but also fix some of the issues within his game that have been prevalent throughout his first three years, 38 starts as an NFL quarterback, the time to throw the seeing downfield, the, you know, the, the ability to process information, like, is that going to go away when he gets into another system? We'll see, but he's too young to give up on right now. Mm. I am a firm believer in that. This is not a comparable experience to the Mitchell Trubisky situation right. in Chicago, where after, after, the 2021 season and they just parted ways and let him go off and, and, and try to, you know, resurrect his career somewhere else. Justin Fields is a much more appealing commodity for a team right now to take a chance on. If he gets in our system, we can make him flourish in ways in ways that Chicago did not. How upset would they be if they went back to Carol? And listen, I'm not a big, like, Oh, he's from this school. So therefore you can't take him. Because under that scenario, Houston doesn't take C.J. Stroud. But mm-hmm. for the Bears, Mr. Trubisky failed experiment. If they somehow don't take Caleb Williams and end up with Drake oh, May gosh. after passing up on guys like Mahomes, and you know, I'm guessing that wouldn't go over too well. 
And that's like the like the baseline of all of this. Can you afford to do it in back-to-back years? The answer is no. Jobs right. are on the line at that point. People get fired if they right. make these decisions where you have the offensive rookie of the year in Houston right now, a guy that you could have had. If that somehow happened again, can you imagine? Like they, yeah. they would have to clean house with yeah. people making decisions, the coaching staff, a coaching staff that already kind of feels, at least with Matt Eberflus, you have 10 wins in two years. They say they're staying the course, but undoubtedly he's going to be entering that hot seat territory in 2024. You've got to start producing on the field. Yeah. And if you pass up on a quarterback that helps you get there, of any franchise that knows what it's like to have a team that's really, really good, even great in other places. Of course, we think back to 2018 when they made that trade for Khalil Mack. They had an right. awesome defense. The quarterback play is kind of what held them back. They can't afford to repeat that cycle. So if it's if it's Caleb Williams and there's questions about, does he want to come to Chicago? Or is any of this just like fodder that's out there that was not put out by him that's, you know, meant to, you know, drive him somewhere else? So you got to be able to and be smart enough and have enough research done to bypass those things that may lead you off of the path of the best quarterback you can possibly take. Because above all else, you have to get that position right. right. This team has never developed a franchise quarterback in the modern era of the NFL, one that they drafted. That has to change because the futility of the position in Chicago is just, you know, it's going on decades at this point. And if you don't get that right with the opportunity that you have now with the cap space and free agency, with the number one overall pick, first team in the common era, to get the number one overall pick the year after trading it, like every, it's 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 like the yellow brick road. Like you yeah. cannot get off this path without shooting yourself in the foot and setting the franchise back even further. I am familiar with the quest for a quarterback that lasts that long. Last thing, <laughs> Montez Sweat. Um, do you think he surprised people there? How impactful was he? And just what what were your thoughts on him? Definitely. I, like in terms of surprise to see one player come in and make that big of an impact that quickly for a defense at that point, which was going through a massive period of transition. That was week nine. So Matt Eberflus had been calling plays for seven ish weeks. They had no pass rush. They couldn't generate consistent pressure on the quarterback to watch one player come in and change the trajectory of that defense. What it did for the guys in the back end, they finished tied with San Francisco for the most interceptions in the league after like having so few through the first like half, you know, for the first half of the season, that is, that was, that will go down as one of the, the better moves from the 2023 season made by any GM and any team. And I'm not surprised that right away they get that contract extension linked up within six days of him being in Chicago. You don't make that trade unless you have the idea that you're going to be able to do that. And what they do now to help Montez Sweat, so it's not all going to be on him. They've got the ninth overall pick as well. Is that Dallas Turner from Alabama, another edge rusher they could get in the draft? Do they go after Daniil Hunter? This team is still in need of several pieces defensively starting up front. Um, and they've got the money to do it. So it'll be a very intriguing part of the offseason to see how they spend their dollars and how much they dedicate to getting more help up front, because once you see the impact that 
a disruptive edge rusher like Montez Sweat can have. I mean, I don't think we've ever seen a player lead, like finish a season leading two teams in sacks. It's pretty wild. Well, I think you can see the impact by what happened after he left here as well. Yeah. Because he was pretty good last year and pretty good going, he'll be pretty good going forward because that's just kind of who he is. So, Courtney, appreciate your time. Great insight. You're the best. Thank you. Of course. Anytime. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Courtney for joining me. And thank you, as always, for tuning in. I'll be back on Thursday with another episode. So I'll talk to you next time.